Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode in Adventures in Machine Learning. My name is Michael Burke. I'm going to be the only host today. Ben is out with some personal things. Everything is all good, but um, unfortunately, he will not be with us today. Um, today, we have a very special guest, Edward, and we are going to be chatting through some potentially very technical topics, but learning about his organization and what they are doing. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So do you mind introducing yourself, explaining why you're famous? <laughs> Thanks for having, having me, uh, Mike. I'm very happy to be to be here with you uh, today. So um, I may be famous for several things. <laughs> First one is I am... Um, so I'm the, I'm the CTO and co-founder of Kili Technology. Um, we are a data-centric AI platform. What we, what we see today is that in AI, we have quality issues and on one side and on the other side that uh, trustworthy AI is priceless. Um, and those issues, for instance, um, 2016, you remember Tay, the boat from, um, Microsoft on Twitter that became racist, right? That's how it sounds. Um, this estimate the pricing algorithm from zero last December. They experienced a loss of half a billion dollars. And so the thing is that maybe those last few years, the focus was a bit too much on, on, on the algorithm in the, in the AI community and not that much on, on the data. Tay was fed with both positive and interactive uh, and negative interactions without any human filtering. This estimate was made of more than 1,000 submodels. So we should probably be a bit more data-centric, and this is what we are trying to push. And before that, I was leading the AI lab of PNP Paribas. And before that, I was uh, I started my career at Lehman Brothers <laughs> right before the bankruptcy. Wow, what was that like? Yeah, in fact, I, I was the very latest employee of uh, Lehman Brothers. Like, I was the, their latest hire. And so it was uh, super weird to see uh, the bankruptcy of such a giant, a leading company in the sector. And so you, you realize that even giants can go to bankruptcy. And this is something that has some echo today. Because, you know, for instance, Elon Musk says, if you're not worried about AI safety, you should be because it's vastly more risky than uh, North Korea. And I think that um, we should change a bit the way we develop AI to be more cautious because it can have uh, big consequences, both in terms of uh, delivery, but also brands, but also maybe at some point bankruptcy. How do you define cautious AI? Like, I think it's AI that we can uh, trust, trust for AI. So AI we can, we can rely on. And 
I think the way to go in this direction is to realize that what matters when you develop an AI is not anymore the code, but the data. The data is the new code for AI. And particularly, data quality matters. My day-to-day experience is that what makes or breaks an AI project is not the, the algorithm, but the, the data and its quality. And this data quality means two things. It means uh, having clean data and having a diverse enough data. And this is something that I think the community is just starting to explore. Like we are just about to build the tools to understand if data sets that we are using to train AI are consistent or not, if they are well balanced or not, uh, if the different edge cases, scenarios that we, our model may, may face in production are present, included in the data sets and with enough courage or not. So, yeah, so this is the, a new world to explore. Yeah, I could not agree more. I've found that with a linear model, we, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, that a very simple model and great data can solve a use case. If your data relationship from between X and Y is fundamentally linear, you can throw the biggest, baddest neural net at it. A linear model will outperform it, be easier to maintain, easier to troubleshoot, and a lot cheaper to serve. So completely on board there. But I was curious about some of the tools that you mentioned about defining clean data and diverse data. How do you know that data are clean or data are diverse? So, so consistency. So having clean data matters because AI is garbage in, garbage out. So if you have inconsistent data, it, it's going to confuse your, your model and to decrease the performances. Um, and so for instance, I've, I have three, three figures in mind. Um, what we see on our project, on the projects that we that, that we manage for, for our clients is that a 10% decrease in the label accuracy um, means a 2 to 5% decrease in the model accuracy. And it also means having to double the dataset size to keep the same performances. And by label accuracy, I mean, if I ask uh, several labelers to label the same data, they won't probably have the exact same answer. Uh, like, for instance, if I uh, ask them to label, uh, I don't know, cars and images, if I'm not specific enough uh, in my instructions, one of the labelers will put a big bonding box around all the cars and uh, the second one, a small bonding box here. And so the one maybe also small bonding boxes. That's probably better because more, more precise for the model, accurate. But this kind of inconsistency will have an impact on the, on the model. And so an impact from, Two to five percent. What, what we see in the in in our projects is that on average, um, the consensus between labelers is about eighty-five percent. So it means that they disagree on fifteen percent of the the assets of the images of the documents, which is which, which is big, which is huge, and and it so it, it has an impact on the on performance of the model. I said from probably two to five percent of, uh, of model accuracy. And out of curiosity, what kind of projects are these? Are these image classification? All of them? Or? Uh, yeah. So at, at Kili, we are we are pretty universal. Like our solution covers um, text text labeling, so text, uh, PDFs, structured text, so everything related to document processing, images as well. 
videos, audio, time series. So it's uh, it's it's pretty universal. Wow. So this this eighty percent or eighty five percent comes from all of those different subjects. It's not just one. Yes. Got it. No. Yeah. Interesting. And um, and the second challenge the so having diverse enough data. So how do you manage to so why why that because um, a model cannot invent a- anything like it can only be as good as the data it has it has seen before and so you need to make sure that you have enough examples that you know enough edge cases and in parallel I think that forty percent of the the data in data sets is like a duplicate so redundant so having no value so if you manage to smartly uh, properly select the data you, you label and you include in your data set. <laughs> you both improve the performance of your model, so the robustness of your model, and also you decrease the like the data preparation effort, the labeling effort, removing those uh, distributed data. And so to do this, a lot of a bunch of uh, methods. So to both manage the the cleanliness of the data and its uh, its, its, its diversity. So from metrics to Workflows to, to tools, bunch of methods, and uh, our job at Kili is to embed this into a tool that forces those best practices in in customer projects. That that sounds like a, a holy grail solution. You can know that your data are good enough. Is that basically what happens? Yes. So our vision is that you know data is the is the new code for AI, like. And AI is software 2.0. Like software 1.0, traditional software, Python, for instance, is about writing some lines of code. Software 2.0 is AI, and it's uh, having a neural network figuring itself what are the relevant rules to get the desired output. And when you code in Python, you use an IDE, like a development environment, such as VS Code, Jupyter Notebook, something like this. What we are building at Kili is the IDE uh, for software 2.0, so for AI. Coding AI, coding in this software 2.0 stack is about accumulating data, labeling this data, massaging this data to select the right one. And so what we build is about, is so it's a tool where you can accumulate this data, label this data, iterate, facilitate short iterations because it's all about iterations. So bringing agile, and maybe we can uh, talk about it later, in the, the AI development. Um, and also, for instance, having some linting, the equivalent of a linter, so, of, uh, so checking the labeling, the equivalent, the equivalent of auto-completion, so like uh, suggesting uh, the right labels. So this is basically what, 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 what we are what we're doing. Got it. And what, so you have an interesting background. I wonder how that background turned into Killy. Was there some project where you were like, oh man, this sucks. I wish I had better data. Um, so was it out of a need for yourself or was it out of need from a stakeholder or a boss? Um, what What is the founding story of Killy? Yeah. So um, I was the first user of Killy. <laughs> In, uh, right, right before Killy, I was the head of AI uh, at BNP Paribas. BNP Paribas is... A, U- a European bank is the leading European bank. It's the biggest European bank. And in like 2015, they realized that uh, they had massive amount of um, of unstructured data that they were not leveraging. Like uh, banks, other banks are pretty good 
in terms of uh, structured data. So everything that fits in, in an Excel file or the all the time series, order book data coming from the, the, the training um, and, the, and the financial market side. But you have massive amount of unstructured data, for instance, in uh, emails, contracts, feed of news, um, the scans of documents, uh, chatbots, for instance, Bloomberg uh, chats in a uh, phone, phone conversation records for traders, for instance. So a lot of, of, uh, of unstructured data. And we couldn't, we could not process this data. Like we are stuck, we, the, the API, the machine learning APIs on, on the cloud were too generalist. Like, because in, in, in finance, you have a lot of super specific vocabulary, uh, financial vocabulary. And, and so we had to train our own models. We had this raw data, but the data was not labeled. Uh, so we needed to create a, to have a labeling tools, like a labeling platform. And on the other side, a lot of people in the organization had a job that was uh, very similar to the job of a, a laborer. For instance, if you work in compliance, and your job is about contract screening, contract screening. So meaning, uh, signing, so reviewing all the people names in the contract and making sure that they are not in a sanction list or blacklisted. Your job is to do a name entity recognition. <laughs> so if you read the contract, you extract the people names and then you, you enter them into the system. And so what we did is we created a platform and that we put in their hands, in the, in the hands of those subject matter experts. And then we collected their, their feedback and we use it to start training models and to help them be more efficient. So suggesting pre-labeling and, and also to do uh, less mistakes. So, and so having this, so creating this first uh, labeling, data labeling platform uh, internally at Big Paribas unlocked for us a lot of uh, topics, a lot of subjects. And the team grew from uh, two people to 50 in a few months. And after a few years, I, uh, I, uh, I decided to resign, so to, to leave the bank, to start my own company. And, uh, discussing with, uh, with other people, we rediscovered, uh, this uh, data labeling need, which is like the, the, the very basic, like the basis of the Maslow pyramid when you do machine learning. And so we developed Kili. So first, uh, the first uh, added value was those interfaces. So just having interfaces where you can see the image, put the bounding box. So very simple. Second, uh, second level was about collaboration. So creating collaboration, allowing collaboration between the different labels. And now it's about, um, as we were saying, creating this data centric AI loop where you, you manage to create collaboration between the subject matter expert labeling the data and the model being trained uh, on this data. And helping the subject matter expert to create as fast as, as fast as possible data sets and data sets as reliable as possible. So making sure that there are no inconsistencies in the data set. Got it. Can you explain that in a bit more tech, technical depth, how the labeler and the, the model work together? Sure. Sure. So labeling is all about collaboration. So this is the first thing, the very first thing. Like you need. And, but just to give maybe a, a bit of a history perspective, um, you know, the uh, huge revolution in the software industry 20 years ago, uh, was agile. It was the idea of uh, Martin Fuller. And he said, basically, his starting point was that you should make, to, to improve the, the velocity of software development and the quality of the software, you should make the development and feature of features 
and they're testing concurrent activities, forcing more interactions between the software developer, the software tester, the project manager, and the user. And what we do in AI is exactly the same. So we make uh, data labeling, model training, model testing, concurrent activities, so that there are more interactions between the labelers, the machine learning engineer, the subject matter experts, the project manager, and the machine learning user. And so the way it works is, is super simple. So you, Kili, uh, is designed to have on one side the labelers, so labeling on the, on the images or on the documents, so on the, on the user interface. And on the other side, you have this API where the machine learning engineers can plug models, collect the already labeled data, train the model and push, push pre-labeling for the labelers. And so create, having this human in the loop process to accelerate the, the labeling. And of course, you cannot, you cannot use a model uh, day one, the labeling project, at least if you don't have a previous, uh, a previous version of a model. And so usually the, the way it works is, uh, so you have several phases. So you work with small batches of data at the very beginning. So you set up your project and usually it's done by the machine learning engineer because the machine learning engineer is the one that understands the way the model will work, the way, so the way the data should be labeled. So this person, the machine learning engineer set up the project. So like the, the, the ontology, so the categories of the entities that you want to recognize in the text and so on. And he, uh, he labels himself like 50 to 100 data to check himself. First of all, if the, the ontology, like the labeling plan is well defined, if the instructions are complete or not, like edge cases, are they properly explained and so on and so forth. And to get an idea of what, what is in the data. And then, so after this first batch, if everything is okay, you can start onboarding labelers and those, and to make sure that there is no decrease of quality during this onboarding, it will use a quality metrics. So for instance, the consensus, which is an interagonic metric to make sure that all the labelers agree, uh, do agree to get together or the only pot, which is for instance, another metric that compares a, a ground truth, so created by the machine learning engineer, for instance, and the labelers. And the labelers will start labeling like a same thing, 50, 100 data. If everything is okay, then we can go to the next step. If there are some mistakes, then the machine learning engineer needs to maybe update the instructions, train a bit more the labelers. But if everything is okay, we can go to the next step, increase the batch size, uh, maybe have a bit more labelers, maybe uh, onboard also a reviewer, maybe onboard some external workforce, etc. But the idea is really to do it in an interactive way, a batch lasting not more than uh, like between one and uh, and two days. Otherwise, if you create this tunnel effect, what happens, and I uh, saw it on some projects, is that you get your data set fully labeled, there are some mistakes, like the ontology of the labeling was not properly defined, but it's too late. <laughs> the labelers, uh, if they are internal people, maybe they also have another job. And so they are, they went on something else. And so you are trapped. So the idea is really to size things and, and you can embed the model at the very beginning of the project and at the very end of the project. And those models are not the same. 
Um, at the very beginning of the project, you use like a rule-based model. So you collect as much, as much, um, business knowledge as you can. So for instance, if you want to recognize uh, people names in uh, emails, you may have a dictionary of first names, for instance. If you want to recognize, or you can have uh, some regular expressions, or uh, you can uh, have, uh, I don't know, something else, like uh, labeling functions, and you use them to massively pre-label data. But with this, you will label maybe between, um, I mean, let's say uh, roughly 20% of your data sets. Like the very easy cases, not not the edge cases that will actually bring a value to the model. So then you have to go manual uh, by hand. This is the painful part, <laughs> but you cannot uh, escape it. And this is the one that brings value. And at the end of the project, uh, when you label like um, 80% of the data, you can use the label data, so the already labeled data to train a first machine learning model and use it to pre-label the last 20%, uh, but only at the very end, because otherwise, if you do it too early in the process, you will create a bias for your labels. So this is a bit the way the way the, it, it, it works. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Got it. So to sort of recap, we start off with a decision tree-esque label structure that is autocomplete for people who are going to be labeling or suggested results. And then iteratively, we increase the complexity of the model as the labelers label more data. Is that more or less the the, the one-liner? Yes. So the the so I think if if we need to, to if you want to just keep in mind two things. The first thing is you need to do it uh, iteratively. So like and have small iterations on your level. And the second thing is you cannot. So there is no magic. There is no uh, getting rich uh, effect. <laughs> In a labeling project, you cannot use a model from the very beginning to like um, ease uh, completely the, the the work of the labelers. But you can. What you can do and what works is rule based at the very beginning, then by hand and at the very hand at the very end of the project, training a model and using it to produce more data massively and and so to refine the performance of the your Right, okay. What happens when there is a, let's say there's an image, it's very blurred out, we're not exactly sure what's on there. Do we allow labelers to say, I don't know, or do they always have to pick a class? So you are allowed to say, I don't know. Uh, you can skip an image. And in fact, I don't know, or when two labelers disagree, this is a signal. And this is a signal that you should take into account. And so with the signal, you can do several things. Maybe 
your the way you want to label your data is not uh, properly defined. So, for instance, maybe the categories you want to use for the classification job are not uh, separable, and this can happen. Like the 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 job, the labeling task was not properly defined, and you find it with this kind of uh, in this kind of, of of situations. And if two humans cannot separate two two classes, it's, it's probably going to be non feasible by by a, a model. And it can also give you some insights um, the 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 way you selected the, the data and help you to refine the sources of uh, the data sources that you use. Yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, I remember a few episodes ago, we chatted about sort of probabilistic modeling with using conformal inference for prediction intervals. And basically, you have sort of a confusion matrix of the probability of being in one class, both classes, but for a binary label, one class, both classes, the other class, or neither class. And that allows a lot more accuracy because it allows the model to not have to make a bad guess. So if it's right on the 50-50 threshold, it can say, I don't feel comfortable. We're just going to not classify this. Um, so that, that that makes a lot of sense. I was also wondering if we could circle back to uh, something you mentioned at the very beginning, which was defining trustworthy AI, because I think these topics are very connected. Often models, when they're put in a pinch and forced to classify something that they don't have, don't shouldn't feel comfortable classifying, it can lead to very unpredictable results. So can you elaborate on what you meant by trustworthy AI and, and what Killy's doing in that realm? So the way we address this, um, the need of trust in a, in uh, in our AI is uh, through data. So what we what we think is that to to create trustworthy AI, we need first to uh, first thing is to create a common understanding between the machine learning engineer and the subject matter experts. When you tackle a machine learning, uh, when you address a machine learning use case, there are two kind of expertise that are important: the ones of the subject matter experts, but like for instance. If I do, um, if I want to detect um, uh, cells for the bladder cancer, or if I want to process some kind of uh, super sophisticated uh, uh, contract documents, uh, legal documents, the, the the expertise of the subject matter experts is super important. And the machine learning engineer need to understand and to learn and to have in mind when building his model some piece of information from this. Uh, and same thing when the people, those people label, they need to have in mind the way the model may use the information or not. Is the context rich enough to make the, the extraction of this piece of information from the text document possible or not? And so the first thing to manage when you want to create trustworthy AI is to make possible this common understanding of what the model will do, the expect, and, and so the way to do it is to one way to do it, uh, to add, to move in this direction is to be able, uh, for both of them, so the machine learning engineer and the subject matter expert, to visualize the output of the model, the way the model took, uh, made this decision. And, and so this is something that, that we do at Killing. So, and that is super simple, but super powerful. Like you are able to, uh, so both the machine engineer and the subject matter expert to see what the model does, uh, why it does it, and so on. So this is very important. And then with that, and the second thing is uh, creating, uh, 
is controlling the data the model is trained on. So like having an understanding of what is in the data set, what are the edge cases that have been covered, that we covered when building the data set, the maybe the edge cases that we voluntarily excluded from the data set. And so having this in mind, you are comfortable and you have a well-defined range of application for your model. And this is super important. And so the way to do it is to build your model, is to build your data sets in an iterative way where you start labeling some data, you train a model, you test the model on the data, you identify the failure modes, and then you source more data uh, to better correct. This can be named uh, data boost boosting, so data boosting, which is you have a bunch of data that you can uh, also, you can label some data, you, you can, you could also augment this data to have a lot of data. And then you tactically or strategically uh, include slice by slice some piece of this data in your data set. So from the data reservoir to your final data set to make sure that you have enough examples to cover the edge cases that you are interested in. Okay, got it. And what type of algorithms slash visualizations do you use to show what parts of the data the model is using. So, for instance, one thing that you can do is visualizing when you do either text, so document classification or dynamic recognition, you can visualize with Sima uh, the contribution of the tokens in the context of, the, for instance, the, the entity you, you extract. And you can see the positive and the negative contributions to... Uh, the decision of extracting, so far, of identifying this entity and use this information to source more examples containing the same context. So, um, visualizing, so visual, uh, open, opening the document, you open the document, you have the entities that you, that your model extracted, identified, you visualize the context of the, the entity, like the words before and after the entity. With that contribution, is it positive or is it negative for the model? And then, if the decision of the model was wrong, was bad, then you can see what were the biggest contributors to this bad decision and choose to source more examples containing the very same context because probably then your model will do the same mistake again because the context is similar. And so, you will properly label those documents and include them in your training set to force your model uh, making uh, making the right decision uh, with I mean, having this seeing this this context. That makes a lot of sense. So if there's problematic areas of the data, let's say um, along a given feature, we'll throw more contexts where that feature is present um, to hopefully correct future labels. Correct. Yeah. Specifically from like an algorithm perspective, how do you define what areas of a feature are problematic? You mentioned like looking at positive and negative, almost like impact, but what, what algorithm specifically, if you're allowed to share? Um, you can use the, like the usual suspects, <laughs> such as Lime, for instance, or those kind of, um, of, uh, of models. And so there are a bunch of, of uh, tools like this. And I think the challenge today is not, is less on the algorithmic part, 
but more on having the tooling to navigate this data. So, and for instance, I remember like a few years ago when I was doing a lot of uh, ML projects, I was uh, collecting the data, but I would, I had no, no tool to get a global overview of what, what was in the data set. Some packages were existing on, on, on Python, on Python, on, on GitHub, in Python. But I had no tool, no search engine to filter the data, pre-visualize it, etc. And I think the challenge that we have today is to create those kind of platforms. So where we can plug those packages, such as Lime, for instance, there are many others, and to visualize this data and to leverage it, uh, searching, slicing the data. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Shapley values as well, and they're almost similar or almost identical concepts. But yeah, cool. One other question that I had regarding this this issue is data sets are big. How do you scale this system, especially when you're often limited by human constraints? How do you handle iterating? Have you found a sampling trick that allows you to work with really large data sets? Or what is your attitude towards scaling this method? So I think scale was and has been so far super important. Like when labeling for computer vision, we it was about uh, labeling from 10,000 to maybe 1 million images. So huge case. I think it's becoming less and less uh, true thanks to foundation models, transformer models, for instance, self-supervised uh, models that had a huge impact in NLP. And those models require less and less data. Because our trained, you can use just a few thousand examples and get a super good result. And I think this is a super good news because the data is cut for AI. When you double the number of lines of code in a, in a project, you need to double the number of tests, unit tests that you, that you create to cover uh, the features and to manage this complexity. So when you double the dataset data set size, you double, you theoretically double the number of tests you should, uh, you should uh, do, apply on your model. And so you double, in fact, your, uh, your technical depth. I think data depth is something that is uh, super unestimated today, underestimated. And, and so having those pre-trained models is a very good news because Okay, it decreases the labeling effort, uh, but also it allows to decrease the technical depth related to data. The other thing is that, okay, you can uh, use less examples, but uh, you need to have very high quality examples because one example will have more impact. And so any mistake, any error, any labeling error will have potentially a huge impact in the performance channel. And so this is the reason why we think that Today, we, we were a lot on labeling fast, having, creating big data sets to, we need to create, to be more focused on creating small, but high quality data sets. And, and of course, when you use a, um, a foundation model, this model has been trained on some data that may be of low quality. And so we need to develop the concept of data, Card, you know, so having some lineage information, the model, the data set that has been trained on some of this. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or 
If you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And especially if we start off with poorly labeled data at the beginning of the iterations, that can have a much bigger impact than later on. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely, yes. Yeah. Do, you, do you guys do like a once over at the, at the very end to, to see if the overall accuracy of the training set is, is high? Of the, in terms of the label accuracy, yes. So um, we uh, we allow our users to to test the, the data basically. So to have this linting of data to check the the quality of the labels, the consistency, and uh, and you can do it at uh, at uh, several levels, like at the project level, to so the data set level, but also at the labeler level, at the at the asset level, at the image level. And you can use several tools to do it. It can be role based, like uh, checking uh, if you label uh, houses and uh, windows. Okay. Uh, it's windows are supposed to be uh, on the wall, <laughs> not outside uh, a house. So you can check those kind of uh, things. So role based, very simple. At the end of the project, when you already have a model, you can compute the likelihood of, of, um, of labels. Uh, so based on the comparison between what the model uh, model predicts and what uh, how the contours was defined by the labelers, and based on this information, you can prioritize the review. So target the review. When you label, you usually the so the um, some labelers doing the, the work, and then you have uh, like a super annotator, super labeler, reviewer taking maybe ten percent of the reviewing ten percent of the data double-checking. And the thing is to make it um, targeted. So reviewing the, the assets where it, where it matters. Got it. So that might be the, the ML engineer or the subject matter expert that would go in and do sort of a once-over of problematic areas or potentially problematic areas. Correct. Correct. Usually it's pyramidal. Like at the very bottom you have like um, a model layer that can pre-label massively and especially at the end of the project. Then you have the labelers, so using those pretty connotations to to label. Then you have the reviewer doing less job. So. And at the at the very top of the pyramid, you have the machine learning engineer that can review job done by the reviewers. Got it. That's super cool. And it also gives the the ML engineer the most power, which is fun, <laughs> at least for for this podcast. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it's also because it's the the ones that has the highest salary. So true. <laughs> yeah. Space yeah. So a couple concluding questions. If people are not using Killy and they're in this sort of iterative labeling process, what is one piece of advice you could give to them to make the process more efficient or more accurate? You mean the labeling process, right? Yeah. So I think the most important thing is to, to do it iteratively. Do not create a tunnel effect. Uh, build your data set iteratively. So start labeling Maybe randomly some some um, some images, some documents, and then use this information to update your labeling project. So to update your instructions, to update your ontology, so the way the categories, because they 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 may be not properly defined, and to update like the the labeling queue, so the 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 data set, the the, the assets, the images that you were you were willing to 
to to level because maybe you want to better cover some edge cases. And so my my strongest advice would be to to iterate. So always iterate. Uh, proceed with uh, small batches, one, two days at most. Got it. So don't just improve on the model side, also improve on the labeler side by providing better instructions, potentially sampling different areas, that type of thing. Mm. Got it. Amazing. And then final question, if people want to reach out and connect with you, where can they find you? So bit everywhere. Um, on our website, so it's uh, kili-technology.com. On Twitter, e my uh, my own uh, my own uh, ID or our key technology, and we and we have offices both in the in the US and Europe. So amazing, yeah, kind of super available. Cool, and that's K I L I, but we'll also include links in the show notes. Correct. Yes. Cool. Uh, well, this was fun. I think this concludes our episode. Um, thank you so much for joining us, and for those listeners, stay tuned for the next one. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Mike. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.